Hey guys, my name is Caleb Witten, and I'm the young adult pastor for B2Co Young Adults. We exist to see young people from ages 18 to 30 come to know Jesus and to know Him deeply. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you enjoy this message and are able to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus because of it. Amen. All right, y'all go ahead, be seated. I'm excited uh, that y'all are here with us tonight. Uh, That was awesome worship, super powerful. Uh, That's good. Thank you, Dominic. Um, So if you weren't with us last week, we started a series on the book of Romans. Um, And and typically, uh, I teach expositionally, and for a while I had gone to a more topical uh, sermon series type thing, but but we're going back to, to teaching expositionally just through a book of the Bible. The book of Romans, chapter 1, last week we talked about the righteous living by faith. We talked about Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and we talked about living by faith. And tonight we're going to be talking about a topic that might even make you feel a bit uneasy. This message might even make you feel angry at some point. You might get sad, and for the believer, I pray that this message uh, would open your eyes in some way to this other group of people. Tonight, we are talking about sin, those that do not live by faith. And sin, I've just titled it sin, but it's an acronym, and you'll make more sense of that in a, in a little bit. And last week, again, we began this series of, of talking about the righteous living by faith, and tonight we're discussing what it would look like to live an unrighteous life. We're still in Romans 1, and we're looking at the second half of the chapter. So remember, last week, if you were here with us, we just got through two verses, uh, 16 and 17. Tonight, we're doing 18 through 32, so a really long section. I I just have a a disclaimer for everybody in the room before we go any farther. The, The text, Scripture, speaks very specifically in this passage of chapter 1 of two very distinct groups of people. So I'll be doing the same tonight. And Paul, in this passage, you'll see him use they, them, their, those pronouns, talking about a, a different group of people than, than the Roman church. Remember that the audience that Paul was writing this book to was the church at Rome. And he was talking in this passage that we'll see tonight specifically of the group of people that were not a part of the church at Rome. So there is going to seem what, what is like an, an exclusivity going on here. But I want you to understand uh, that, that we see that the righteous that live by faith are those that have proclaimed the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. They are those that believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the same is true for us tonight, that the righteous that we see even here in our own lives are those that proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I also want to make something else clear. Is that, I say this with all the love in the world to those that have not made the decision to follow Jesus with your life. And and again, I just want to be careful because I don't want anybody to feel excluded, but I do want conviction to set in tonight. If you have not made the decision to, to follow Jesus Christ with your life, you are a part of the unrighteous crowd. And I don't say that so, that so that I can just make a distinction between the two groups. I say that 
praying, joyfully sharing with you that there is an opportunity to become the righteousness of God right here tonight. And so again, wherever you're at wrestling with God, if you have not made the decision to follow Jesus with your life, you have that opportunity tonight to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. Again, the second group that we're talking about, we're talking about tonight, um, is, is what chapter 1, verse 18, would call the godless and the unrighteous. This is a group of believers, that, or a group of people that we might also refer to as the world, our culture, society, non-believers. These are individuals who reject Yahweh as God and are not saved by grace. And you might say, Caleb, you just called them godless, but several of the people, Roman society, believed in the Roman gods. Uh, and, and what I would say to that is there's only one God. Only one God. Who they called gods are idols. They're wannabes. They're heretics. They're phonies. There's one God always, forever, and always. And He is Yahweh. And I want you to understand, again, I'm giving you some background so that you can understand this book and where we're going before we dive into this passage of Scripture. This book was written as a letter to the church at Rome. So it was written descriptively. Paul is writing about actual events that are happening there in the church at Rome. There's a specific audience that was intended to read this book. However, because it is wrapped within the canon of Scripture, we can look at it tonight. We can look at it as a church and read it prescriptively, meaning that we can see what Paul was writing to the church at Rome and apply it to our own lives, apply it to our own society, apply it to our own nation. And many of you tonight are familiar with the verse John 10.10. 10. And that says, the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, that's the words of Jesus, that you may have life and have it to the full. Tonight we're going to be looking at three other verbs that the enemy uses with sin to draw us from God. So look in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And before we read, I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, I am uh, humbled at the opportunity that I have to proclaim your word. Jesus, I pray right now in this moment that you would hide me behind the cross, that, that no words would escape my mouth uh, that do not come from you. Jesus, I thank you for every single heart in this room, Lord, and I pray that all of us would just hear this word that comes from the book of Romans and, and apply it to our life, Lord, that we would experience the conviction of our sin, and God, that we would, we would be grateful, that we would praise you for, for the joyful salvation that we receive through Jesus Christ on the cross. God, as we open up your word, help us hear from you. Lord, open up our hearts uh, with a desire to learn from you. Lord, and give us wisdom beyond the text, simply to live out what you've told us to do in it. In Christ's name, amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So, the S, I told you that sin tonight is an acronym. The S in sin is sin suppresses the truth of the gospel. Sin suppresses the truth of the gospel. Whenever you read the word suppress, I want you to think hinder 
or restrain. And I could probably just leave that statement there and, and, and move on and we would all kind of gather what I mean, but I do want to expound upon this. Paul is speaking to the Roman church. Remember, a Roman society in very early on in, in, the, in the 100s or before, actually, uh, he's, he, they are being persecuted under uh, a certain emperor, whoever it was at, the, at that point, Christians were literally killed for their faith. The Romans wanted to suppress the gospel. I'm in a, I'm in a history class right now in seminary, and we're learning all about uh, persecution uh, in, under Roman rule. So this is reading Romans at this time is really kind of hitting home to me. But if, if, you, if you don't know, if you aren't aware of how Romans would persecute Christians, they would walk into a, a colony of a city. And they would have everybody come uh, to one certain point of the city. And they would line them up. And they would have them burn incense or some kind of sacrifice to the Roman gods. Again, I talked about it last week. The Roman gods are very similar to the Greek gods in name and things like that, except they referred to them more um, astrologically. So uh, like Zeus was Jupiter and, and other ones would have other planet names. But we see they would want people to, to offer sacrifices to these gods of Rome. And you can look throughout history. There's amazing accounts of these Christians that, that stood firm in their faith. And as Romans were seeking to suppress the truth of the gospel, they would ask these Christians, they'd line them up and they'd say, burn this incense, sacrifice to Zeus, to Zeus worship the emperor, whatever it might be. And the Christians would take a step back They'd look at the face of the guard and they'd say, famously, all of them say the same sentence, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Making it very clear to that Roman guard of what God they worship. And many of them were killed for their faith. And the Roman guards, after they'd say, I am a Christian, they'd say, just do it one time. Just do it denounce the name of Jesus one time and we won't bother you again and, and again, over and over and over again. I am a Christian to the point of martyrdom. You see, the Romans were asking these questions. They were asking, who is God to you, to these Christians, not in search of truth, but in search of control. They wanted to suppress the truth of the gospel. They wanted to push this agenda of fearing the government, of bowing down to the legislation of whoever the emperor was in that current time. And honestly, we can look at, at kind of the, the reaction of the Roman society to the Christian church and look at the 21st century American nation reaction to the Christian church and see some some similarities in it. And I don't want to go as far as saying that we are persecuted for our faith on the same way that the martyrs were. I, don't, I think that that is wrong. The martyrs wear a victorious crown that they paid a lot for. But we do encounter a culture. We encounter a nation that wants to suppress the truth of the gospel. However, this nation that, that, that we live in, they want to silence the Bible. There's certain atheist circles that I've read of uh, that claim that their goal, these are professors and bigwigs in certain institutions, their goal is to kill God. 
They want to suppress the truth. And we interact with a secular culture that believes that all truth is relative. And, and they've bought into this live-your-truth garbage that comes out of sensitive feelings and, and, and a lack of accountability. They, they preach out of a worldview that pushes believing in whatever you want, drinking or doing whatever you want, marrying whoever you want, divorcing whatever you want, doing whatever you want, living as long as you want. However, whenever they ask you what your truth is and you present an objective truth, my, my truth is objective, and it is from a central authority that goes far beyond myself, far beyond a human mind. It is the creator of the whole universe, and he has a perfect plan for every single person that is alive. Whenever you present this objective truth in that kind of society of the live it out, live your truth, all they do is cancel you or call you a bigot or tell you to shut up, whatever it might be. We see that in reality, this nation, this culture that we live in, they don't want us to live our truth. They want us to live theirs. And again, whenever we look at truth, and, and, and we could get into a big conversation about truth and the objectivity of it, we understand that, that, that the central authority of what truth is goes way beyond what we can fathom. I don't decide what truth is. You don't decide what truth is. Influencers don't decide what truth is. Government doesn't decide what truth is. There is an author of creation who decided what truth is. And it's our job to obey that truth. Verses 19 through 22, read that with me. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Being understood through what he has made, as a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Sin ignores the evidence of God. So there's your eye. Suppresses the truth and ignores the evidence of God. And I want to use an example uh, that, that I've used before, but I think it does a really good job at, at driving this point well. So there should be a picture on there. Um, so this is me and my dad at my wedding. Um, so you can look at that picture and see that me and my dad look alike. We look a lot alike. If you see a picture of my dad at, at 23, uh, we look identical. So we look the same. And, and, and ignoring the evidence of God would be like me looking at my dad, sharing a same last name with him, understanding that he has provided for me my whole life. We share DNA. He's taken care of me. He has even said that he's my father. Ignoring the evidence of God would be like me having the knowledge of all that and going, that's not my dad. There's a vine that I always think of when I said that. Earlier when I ran this sermon, I thought about the vine too. Anyways, um, it would be like looking at that picture, looking at my dad, and regardless of the, the evidence, 
Me going, no, that's not my dad. That's what ignoring the evidence of God is in this analogy. And it's an absolutely absurd idea. And the reality is, is that we see in this scripture right here that God has given evidence of of his existence, of his reality, all through creation. It's everywhere. Look anywhere. And it's it's so much within the creation today that, that, that Paul shares. People are without an excuse. And so I get this question a lot. Um, of, of new believers struggling with the idea of evangelism and just faith in general. And they'll go, what about the people that are living on an isolated island in the middle of the ocean uh, who nobody has gone to share the gospel with them? What about them? Where do they go if they die and have not heard the gospel? And this passage speaks to that. Creation groans of the existence of God. And I know that's such a hard thing to hear. And it's such a hard feeling to feel of understanding that people that have never heard the name of Jesus don't go to heaven. But I do believe that's what the Bible teaches. And so we see that people are without excuse because creation contains evidence of his eternal power. We can see the evidence of his eternal power not only everywhere today, but if you take a look back in history, you'll see miracle after miracle. You'll see revival after revival. And at one point in history, you'll see God himself coming to earth, becoming flesh and proving his love for us on a cross. Yet, sin gets in the way of all of this evidence that he is the eternal God, worthy of all praise, and leads them the unrighteous, those that do not follow God, leads them to believe that there is no God. And verse 22 ties a bow on this well when it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And as they pass from this earth, they recognize their foolishness once it's too late and there is no more forgiveness. And I don't want to breeze by that. I don't want to just say that and move on. Like that, that is a heavy statement. And so tonight, if you're in this room and you do not have a relationship with God, I want you to know that He is calling you to follow Him. He sent His Son to die for your sins. He rose from the grave. He's offering you eternal life, and He's going to come again. And I understand that there's, there's an idea... Uh, whenever we're in this age of our early 20s, where we go, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I want to live this life now, and I'll do that later. But guys, later is not promised. Later is never promised. There's a, in my, in my hometown in North Louisiana, uh, there's a, a young pastor that uh, within the past months has, has slipped into, had slipped into sin, and uh, he he died this past week at like 35 years old, and he had three kids and a wife. And It's such a sad story, but tomorrow is never promised. And I say that uh, not as a fear tactic to just convince you to be saved, but I say that because if you understand that Jesus came to die for your sins, today is the day of salvation. Sin 
ignores the evidence of God. Verse 23 through verse 32. It's a long passage, but stick with me. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed with their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. The N in this, in this acronym is sin neglects God's original design. And man, <laughs> these verses, there is a lot that could be said within this passage of Scripture. And if you have questions and would like to get into it, I would love to dissect every single verse by verse in this passage. But uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to say this. Believers, this passage of Scripture should break your heart. This should break your heart. And non-believers, this passage of Scripture should be eye-opening. It should reveal to you what is disobedient to God. What is sin? There's a lot of sin that is addressed within these nine verses. And honestly, the past few days as I've been studying this, it's just made me feel so heavy. Because this is not how it was meant to be. This is not God's original design. And obviously within these verses we see some, some really hot-button topics that our culture loves to, to dive into and talk about um, today. And I'm not one to, to shy away from any of those conversations, so I will say this, that we see homosexuality talked about in this passage, and we see that God says that it is not right. However, keep on going. Look at what else God says is not right. Right. Unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness, envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, God-hating, arrogance, pride, boasting, inventors of evil, disobedient to parent, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. There's 21 other sins discussed. So we could spend the whole time talking about that one 
or we could all look in the mirror and see that we're all in this list. We're all in the, I mean, disobeying your parents is in the list. And so we understand that, that man, it's not in an order. It's not in a list of, of worse to, to, to not, but it really is, man, we're all, we're all fallen from grace, and this is not God's original design. And there are so many churches. This is why I have such an issue with this intersection that we have within the Christian church today of culture and church. We want to love Jesus, but we also want to live like the world. And, and friends, like you can't have both. The Bible says very clearly that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. You can't have one foot in the world living one way Monday through Saturday and then show up on Sunday like you've lived the holy week. We can't have a foot in both fields. If you are a follower of Christ, you're either all in or you're all out. There's not a halfway. And sometimes, even in my own sin, I wish there was a halfway. <laughs> right? Like, sin is enticing. That's why we do it. But there's not. Sin will communicate. It'll neglect God's original design and communicate to you that you can have a foot in both. However, when it comes to the original design of a relationship with God, think about Genesis 1, Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. God is walking amongst the garden with them. It's perfect. It's holy. It's a sacred relationship. And then sin entered the conversation. And there was separation. There's separation. God's original design was absolutely perfect. And there was no sin. And so often we mistake the words of our culture for the words of God. Remember, friendship with the world is hostility towards God. And we must treasure and esteem the word of God regardless of what it says and regardless of how that makes us feel or regardless of how that makes other people feel. There's a reason why God deemed it sufficient and we didn't. Right? Like this is truth again. So tonight, we've looked at sin. We've looked at how sin suppresses the truth of the gospel. How it ignores, I forgot that point, ignores the evidence of God and sin neglects God's original design. And those that need salvation tonight, now is the time. Hunter, you can go ahead and come up. And we're going to have a time of worship again. And Kaylee and I will be available uh, to, to speak if you need to, to pray 
if you need uh, to be saved, we would love to have that conversation with you. Uh, so, so non-believers, that is, that is the challenge here in this moment. If you have not begun a relationship with Jesus Christ tonight, begin one tonight. Go all in. Look, look around the room and you'll see that you have community. I understand that in, in certain aspects, certain circles, uh, whenever we, before we come to know Christ, there's this feeling of like, who's going to be our friends? What are we going to do? Look around. There's friends. And if they don't want to be your friend, I will gladly be your friend because I'm going to need a whole lot of babysitters in about five weeks. But Jesus died for you. He died for you so that you could have eternal life through belief in Him as the only way to heaven. And believers in the room, there's a response tonight for you. And it can go a couple different ways. Number one, if you've been struggling with a specific sin in your life that you need prayer over, that you need to confess to someone, come to me or Kaylee or talk and talk about it, or talk to one another, find another believer in the room that you, you, you trust, you can confide in, and confess that sin, pray together, and commit to living a life all in with Jesus. And uh, the other response for believers, we talked about a lot of heaviness tonight. And before you knew Christ, you were in the depths of it. So tonight should have shown you how far God reached to save you from it whenever you responded to the gospel. So we're going to take an opportunity, we're going to take this time to praise God for that. Praise loud, praise big, worship loudly because he saved you from your sin forever. How incredible it is to know that we have a Savior, that we have the truth, that we have the message, and that we're free forever. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you.